From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Worthless Servants Podcast. I am Scott Armstrong and I have lots of servants with me here that are completely worthless as usual. Uh, To my left, I have AJ Fry. Hi guys. Then to his left, Emily Armstrong. Hey everyone. We have somebody new. We'll get to know her in a little bit, but her name is Jessica Natalie Franco. Hey, how are you guys? And then to my right, Chelsea Fry. Fun facts with Chelsea. Fun fact. <laughs> During your lifetime, you will produce enough saliva to fill two swimming pools. Gross. No. no way. <laughs> is that true? Yeah. How big is the swimming All pool? All my fun facts are true, Scott. <laughs> I know. That's I mean, he always, he I know. always. I'm skeptical. You question my up. honesty. It's from the internet. The internet never lies. <laughs> I don't know if this is from the internet. I'm. You're holding it up in your phone right now. Encyclopedia. I don't even know how to say that word anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But how how big is the pool we're talking? Like, is this like a little kiddie pool? Okay. So for you guys, I need some background information. Depends on the person. Right now, I suppose. (laughs) Oh, no. Whether they're thinking about food or not. So the average human produces one to two liters of saliva each day. Wow. Which is a maximum of 730 liters per year. And the average life expectancy is just over 70 years, which gives you a maximum of 51,100 liters. Wow. And that's enough to, it doesn't tell me how big a pool is, sorry. I'm curious where you, what source you're getting this from. Um, funfacts.com. Funfacts.com. There's a funfacts.com. Fun I don't know. I think that's right. Now she's revealing her sources and just they're kidding. not going to be surprised. Just anymore. kidding. Don't go on that website. It's probably some virus or something. Yeah. Well, we are not going to waste more saliva on this topic. No. Nice segue. Nice. I like that. That's good. I finally got a, la- a laughter out of Natalie. <laughs> so, Natalie is with us, and after that random fun fact, and she's still a little confused. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, we want to get to know you. Um, obviously, I need to say that you have just been involved. You're from the Dominican Republic, but you've been involved in almost everything that we have done uh, regarding um, just missions and evangelism and some of the church planting things. But you've also helped a lot with translation, also hosting some compassionate ministries teams and and things like that. So other than that, not just the ministry side, but uh, what are you studying? Where have you been? I mean, this is a missions podcast. I know you've been on a few missions trips. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am not good about talking about myself, but um, I'm studying architecture. I love to study architecture. I'm almost done with that. Also, what else can I do? You're in your final year of university studying I am my architecture. Final, yes, I am in my final year. And I've heard that's the easiest year. It is what? not <laughs> at all. <laughs> it is so hard, but even even though it is hard, I really love it. So I'm so excited to finish and start working on it and also help others. Well, that's what I was going to ask. How do you want to use your architecture degree in the future then? So right now I'm actually helping my church, my local church, redesigning the f- phase of the this place in 
It's a cafe. We, yeah, we've been there. It's a child development center that the local church has to to have after school care for kids. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm trying to help them with that. Wow. So mm-hmm. you are already awesome using building. your degree mm-hmm. and you don't even have it yet. That's amazing. <laughs> exactly. That's cool. That's cool. But you, I'm assuming that you want to just continue to help the church or exactly. churches mm-hmm. in the future with that degree. That's what I would love, love to do, yes. Well, I already have some ideas, but we'll, 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 we'll talk <laughs> I have about a list that later. of projects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so you have been uh, to India. Yes. You have been on missions trips within the country and anywhere else? So far in India and in, in my country, and that's all. That's sure, mm-hmm. sure. Well, we really appreciate, Natalie, your just how you think of missions, how you think of ministry. We really are thankful that you're a part of this uh, episode. And uh, if you're willing, we'd love to have you on on the next episodes as well, uh, sure. at least for several several in the future. And we're going to be talking about a, a, a certain topic. It's kind of interesting. Normally we don't do this, but we're going to dedicate several episodes to one topic, and that topic is church planting. We believe that church planting is the most effective. In fact, studies have come out that say church planting is the most effective way to reach a community. There may be other ways that an existing church can do that, of course, but the most effective way is starting a new congregation in that neighborhood. And so we're going to talk through that, and we're going to use as our kind of document and subject matter for these next few episodes a resource that's called 10 Practical Steps for Planting New Churches. That was written by Pastor Manuel Molina. He has actually served as a missionary and a church planter in Mexico, originally from El Salvador. But Manuel is an amazing person. In the future, you'll hear a little bit more about him. We'll share some uh, stories about Manuel, personal stories that I have probably. Uh, But he's just an amazing, amazing person. I think we should dive in. These are super practical. He has planted more than 50 churches, really, uh, leading more people that you could even include probably over a hundred because people under his leadership have been planting as well. And it's just been a movement in the South of Mexico and now has continued in other countries and other places. So this is really stuff that through 35 years he has written and we're the beneficiaries of it. So step one, as we uh, think about practically planting a new church is intentional prayer. Intentional prayer is what he identifies as the first step. So right off the bat, I don't know about you guys, but I was not expecting that. I mean, of course that's important, but I would have thought, well, it's really important to get to know the community. It's really important to have a plan. It's really important. But why is this number one? I think part of it is the word that he obviously very intentionally uses is the intentional word of, I think there's a lot of prayer that goes into church planting, but he's exhorting the reader to pray with a purpose. And so when we're church planting, there are certain things that before you start thinking about the programs, we should be praying for that community. We should be praying for the people that are there, the people that are going to know Christ. But I even like that he went like to this a uh, secondary step of don't just pray for the people that you're going to encounter, even pray for the actual neighborhood that you should be in. So like, say, for instance, we're talking about Santo Domingo, which is a very large city. Hmm. He would say, well, you can pray for Santo Domingo and that's fine, but you could still like just go and pick something out. But he's asking and saying the best way to do it is to pray that God would show you which neighborhood in Santo Domingo needs the hmm. next church and, hmm. and trust that he's going to show you that. And um, he gave 
gave an example of even using a map, you know, like looking at a map and really strategically looking mm. at some of the places that already exist there, maybe even knowing where other churches and congregations already are kind of centered and asking the Holy Spirit to lead you to the place where it's going to be. But that type of prayer is not just a, oh, God, help me as I'm going to plant a church. It's more of a God, give me the place that you want me to church plant. And um, I just think that intentionality uh, is something that we need to be more aware of. What are some things that he says we should be praying for in this very first stage? Well, he says that we should be praying, you know, for a strategy. And I think I think sometimes that's uh, something I overlook a lot of times. You know, it's good. To, it's good to pray for people and for things, but to pray for the specific strategy. You know, what how are you going to, I don't know, attack this situation? How are you going to respond? How was, what is your plan going to be? And to pray for that, um, to seek God's guidance in that area, um, just really spoke to me. Like I'm a very strategic kind of person. I like to plan things out and have a strategy from like start to finish. And so, but I, but I honestly, I rarely think about praying about what should my strategy be. And so to think about praying for my strategy just makes sense now that he said it, <laughs> that we should, that we should seek God's strategy, God's plan, even in the, in the small details, just being intentional in that part of it. Natalie, this is something that in our region, we've, I've seen a little better than even where we're from in the, in the United States, right? In the United States, the strategy and the plan is really important. And we say it's important to pray. I should be careful. I mean, at least in the cases where I've been a part, uh, but really prayer has not come first. You've been a part of some church planting and some different initiatives. I've seen in the Dominican Republic, prayer is essential. Prayer is one of the very first things. Well, actually, um, yes, it is one of the very first things. I think um, even before we even plan anything, like when we first start like thinking about to plan a church, we start praying for that. And we advise others. We tell other other churches to pray Mm -hmm. with us for that new church that is going to be built in this new community. So Mm -hmm. it is not only from the local church, but also the churches from Nazarene churches that are are around us, Mm -hmm. we also tell them, you know, we're thinking about to do this. Can you please join us in prayers? Mm -hmm. So That's awesome. It creates mm -hmm. this network. That's really cool. We were just, uh, Emily and I were just in in our office today, and uh, Pastor Newton from Mm -hmm. Santo Domingo came through and uh, just visited us. And for 20 minutes, we talked and he prayed with us. And he said, could you pray with me? Mm-hmm. Because I want to open a new work in such yeah. and such a place. Exactly. And that's very common. Like, I, it's not just my own thing or our own church. Exactly. It thing. is not our mm-hmm. church. It is the Nazarene church. Mm-hmm. So it is a group thing. Invite yeah. everyone. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Has anyone seen where they've used a map to actually pray for the communities? Yeah, we actually saw this happen in Florida, where we were youth pastors. Our Florida district is huge on church planting, and districts are in the Nazarene Church, in case you are a non-Nazarene listener. Um, And our district really pushed us to take a map and draw circles on it in the size of three-mile radius. And so the church building was the epicenter, the center piece of that circle. And that's how many churches you needed to plant in that city. Um, and we were in a tiny town, I would say 
a small town, and we needed five churches. Oh. Not church buildings necessarily, but church epicenters. And so that meant a meeting place because the idea of that is three miles is a distance that somebody is willing to walk if they needed to. If you were in a low-income apartment complex, they would be able to walk to your church epicenter. And um, it really was interesting because we were we only had one church, one one church body. Um, one building meeting in a town that needed five. And can you imagine a city? Mm. Just how much bigger that would be. So we used that map to pray for the people outside of our circle because there wasn't somewhere we could direct them. We were having to, if we met someone outside of that circle, we were having to invite them to go the extra mile, literally, to come into our circle. <laughs> literally, that's true. Yeah. So like we talk a lot on this podcast about urban mission as well. I mean, if you're in Manhattan, yeah. I mean, there's no three mile radius. No. You're talking just <laughs> because of the number yeah. of people like you really need almost within every three to five blocks, yeah. you know, be just because of how many thousands of people are in the in those blocks. So but the concept is is the same. There are actual streets. There are actual homes with actual people that we must start praying for. He says, Manuel Molina says, we should pray for local leaders who are going to participate, for the people you hope to win to Christ. Uh, you said, AJ, of course, the strategy. Isn't that interesting? Before, before we think, a lot of times we have our idea, let's go and do this. But he says, well, it's more important to have God's strategy for that place, exactly. for the material yeah. resources. A lot of times a church plant does not count on, you know, having a lot of money from the very start. Yeah. Community leaders praying already for the mayor or for the, you know, for the other people in this city or in that in that barrio permits and approvals, things like that. So prayer starts. Prayer starts everything. Now, it's not that after the prayer, we stop praying and now we go to the second <laughs> step. But he says that is the first step and actually provides the foundation for all that comes after. I was reading a, um, a devotional the other day, well, quite a few weeks ago, actually. And <laughs> just it just captured my attention. I keep thinking about this. And the author writes that, you know, God needs us. He puts the materials in the ground. Um, and then we take those materials to make a concrete block to build the house, for mm -hmm. example, or to build the church building. So he needs us to make these structures. And in the same way, he needs us um, in our prayers to communicate with him. And I think the more that just really struck me, like, like he needs us to communicate with him, to pray with him so that he can continue doing work in the world. And, um, like the more we pray, the, the more in tune with God we are, the more closer we are to him and his will. And so we can d discern that a lot better and a lot easier. And then like be his hands and feet in the world, in the community for his will. Well, and I think when it comes to church planting, we often think that that's a very human thought. Like my pastor thought of that or my district superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene thought of that. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's it's God's thought. Yeah. Like God wants the church to be active. And so he places that thought. So prayer is seeking God's heart. Yeah. Where is it that you see the next church, God? Where is the place that you want me to be active? Because that's mm -hmm. where you see it happening. So I think prayer definitely gets us in tune, like what you're saying. He's got the plan for us. And when we pray, it's like, okay, show me the plan. Like I'm willing to say yes. And prayer is that active obedience of show me and I'll say yes. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed in that, in that article was it talked 
talked about how the church planter should become a model of prayer for the next step. And so like, I just, I think about that, how true it is that our lives are a testimony of, of God's calling on our life, but also our obedience. And so in this step, I just picture this church planter walking around a neighborhood with a Bible praying over things. Eventually the neighbors are going to say like, uh, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why are you here? Because we ha- we do this with our groups that come into town. We take them on a on an urban training day and we stick them in a community and let them walk around. And they're just supposed to be taking notes. We've done this probably with 10 groups now in the same neighborhood, but they're totally different groups. It's not the same people. But the Dominicans that we walk past don't realize what's going on. And so now they've started stopping the groups and they have decided to tell them like, hey, the church building you're looking for is down the street. (laughs) Like they think they know what's going on. But what how cool would it be in that moment if it was a church planter to stop and say, no, I'm actually praying Mm -hmm. to plant a church here. Um, and yeah. are you interested yeah. in becoming well, part of that? So even the prayer walk, even the prayer is a testimony to the community. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a secret to this is that prayer actually makes us, I, I think, Emily, you and I were talking about this and uh, you said it gets our hearts in tune with what God is doing. It's not just that we're praying so that we would receive a strategy so that other people would be changed. This is number one. This is step number one, so that we are in the right place as we go into steps two through ten. Hmm. And, and let's do that. Let's go ahead and transition, and let's talk about step two. So step two is planning. We've already had intentional prayer, but now we're jumping into the actual planning. Oh, there are so many good principles here. Uh, did anything jump out to you all? One thing that jumped out to me that really just kind of catch caught my attention was that this not, he mentions not importing leaders into the new church. So, so if you're, if you're from a mother church and you're sent out to plant an, a new church in this new neighborhood, he warns against taking leaders from that mother church into the new neighborhood. And I think the danger there is, is that once you have your, your core group, your core group of people from that neighborhood, but those leaders have been imported, you start doing things that the mother church has been doing, which isn't necessarily bad, um, but it might not work well for this new community. And so I think that's the danger of importing new, new leaders. And we'll talk about this later, but looking for leaders within that community as well. So that, th- that to me is really important and, and not using the leaders that you that are from the mother church but looking for leaders in that community and i love hearing that because so my my degree is in human resources i think i've mentioned that before and when you're training leaders it is so much better when they understand your culture already Um, so like when you're training i worked at a retail store and so if i was training the the like head honcho over the cashiers. It was so much easier when he or she already knew how to run the cash register. But if I took somebody from even the back room, so still still within the retail store, took somebody from the back room and put them in charge of all the cashiers, they didn't know how to run the cash register. So the, ca- the cashier would come to them and be like, it's broken. They couldn't problem solve. Mm-hmm. To me, that is like, talking about bringing somebody from the mother church, the back room to be over the cashiers. 
it's so much easier when you can get to the point. And maybe at the beginning, he kind of mentions this, maybe at the beginning you're focusing on leadership development, right? But planning for that ahead of time. How are we going to take somebody that is a cashier and make them the head or Mm -hmm. someone that's a convert into the pastor? If you go in with that mindset. Now, when we're planning, does this mean we have to get the perfect plan before we actually start? I mean, sometimes I feel like I've known people that are planning for years and years and I'm like, just start. Like you need, (laughs) it's good to have a plan. And maybe that's some stuff that I've learned on the mission field. But what do you guys think? I think there's things that when you challenge yourself to do something God-sized, you can start to think, well, I have to have everything in place before we even start. But when it's God-sized, I kind of feel like it's like parenting. You're never ready to be a parent. But like as you're in the process of parenting, God gives you what you need and it starts to grow. Um, so kind of that planning uh, is is that type of mentality of just get going, kind of like what you said. And even as I was reading down through some of these things, Natalie, I was thinking about we just did urban invasion here in Santo Domingo. And you were a huge part of that planning team. Um, and I would love to hear was that something bigger than you thought would ever be able to happen? Or like it said, you know, Manuel tells us that that's going to produce frustrations, right? Like you're going to plan things and then they don't work out and things like that. But like, did you have an experience of planning that was hard or difficult? Yes, it's usually like that. Actually, in my life, it is pretty much all the time this way. I plan something and nothing goes the way I want. So, yes, like it's always like that. So I know... Usually when I try to do something, it doesn't go the way it's supposed to be. But anyways, I think we should try to make a good plan. Mm. There is a there is a saying, it says, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So that's why I think it is very important for us to like to to say or actually to write goals. What yeah. do you want to get? Mm-hmm. And um, I think one of the most important thing is like to to see or to say or write it down, what needs to be done, who is the person that is responsible to do these kind of things, and mm. in what time it should be completed. Right. I, this is something so important because sometimes it takes so many times to finish something, yeah. and it is just frustrating, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and That's I can good. hear your degree coming yeah. out in that. Oh like, my I Lord. That's <laughs> an architect, right? Like, can you imagine starting to build a house and be like, wait a second, I don't have the whole design done yet. You know what I mean? Like yes. you would have the design in place and then start working on and it. And this is something we have to do every time we want, we want to do a design. We yeah. have to plan everything since the, since the very first step. Right. This, 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 and we're going to take this time. So yeah. I think it's pretty much the same with churches. We have to yeah. make sure everything, like, even though it doesn't go the way we want, like, God, I know God is going to guide everybody. Right. Yeah. right. That's mm-hmm. good. So what I'm hearing from all of us, I think, is planning is essential. Like, it, we've all been in places, even in church planting, where we're like, ah, it would have been good to think about that. You know, it would have been good to talk through that. It's like now we're six months down the road or even five years down the road. And it's like, why did nobody think about that? But at the same time, I'm also hearing from you. We can't let that paralyze us. Correct. We can't let that like just freeze us and say, we're never going to step out and actually do this. We're never going to have the perfect plan. 
until, you know, we need to actually put into practice some of the stuff that we have planned to figure out, is it going to work and even be willing to modify later? I think you have to have part of your plan be evaluation of your plan. Hmm. So we've talked about that in a Genesis characteristic is the the criticalness of evaluation. So even as you're, you're praying, right? Step one is pray. As you're praying, I'm assuming the Lord is giving you some clarity on what your next steps are. But like at the same time, that doesn't mean that you don't evaluate. Are you praying for the right things? Are we still moving forward in the right direction? And so that's you can't not start, but you're also not going to have the perfect plan when that happens. And problems will arise. And we've talked before about there are good good problems and bad problems. (laughs) (laughs) And we've talked about that before. There are good problems and there are bad problems that will arise. You know, a good problem could be we need more chairs because there are so many people. You know, you want those type of problems. Uh, (laughs) But maybe a bad problem would be nobody is on the same page. Our entire leadership team is at each other's throats. You know, that's not a good problem. And so we need to I like how you said that we need part of our plan needs to be evaluating that plan. I like that. Um, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> tweet that out. Okay. Oh, so tweetable. <laughs> yes. Yes. Fun fact. So, so I think that'll do it for this episode. Um, we've only talked really about the first two steps, but uh, we're going to continue this. It's kind of going to be a series. And so in two weeks, we'll be talking about uh, several more steps, of course. So remember, as we church plant, Pastor Manuel Molina says we need to intentionally pray, number one, and then we definitely do need to have a plan. So I think that'll do it. Uh, We are the Worthless Servants, and I'm Scott Armstrong. I'm AJ Fry. I'm Emily Armstrong. I'm Natalie Franco. And I'm Chelsea Fry. And we will talk with you next time. For more information, visit us on Facebook or at mesoamericagenesis.org.